you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. Hey, I'm Antonia Cerejido, the host of Imperfect Paradise, a show about hidden worlds and messy realities. Today on Imperfect Paradise, we're sharing an episode of friend of the show, Joe Piazza's podcast, Under the Influence with Joe Piazza. I think that lovers of Imperfect Paradise will get a lot out of Joe's deep dives into social media. On the show, Joe recently has covered such topics as sobriety influencing, cancer influencing, and of course, trad wives. Last December, Joe had our very own Emily Guerin on to talk about our series People vs. Karen, the story about a white momfluencer who falsely accused a Latino couple of a crime and their fight to hold her accountable. If you haven't listened to People vs. Karen yet, then what are you doing? I highly encourage you to binge the whole series. But Joe and Emily also do a recap of the series at the top of this episode. If you've already heard the series, you may want to skip to about the 16-minute mark. That's when Joe and Emily get into some behind-the-scenes details that went into making People vs. Karen and a deeper discussion into the role social media played in this story. So without further ado, Under the Influence with Joe Piazza, an update on Katie Sorensen from the Michaels parking lot. How many of you remember the Katie Sorensen story? Maybe you don't remember the name, but you might remember the episode we did a couple of years ago about the mom influencer in the Michael's Craft Store parking lot who accused a couple of trying to kidnap her kids to get more viral attention for her Instagram account. Yeah, this was a, this was a crazy, crazy-ass story back in the day. And now it is being revisited in a new podcast by LAist called People vs. Karen. It's part of a series called Imperfect Paradise, and the reporter Emily Guerin is diving back into the Katie Sorensen story to interview all of the people in it and to shift the lens onto the couple that Katie accused, Sadie and Eddie Martinez. Emily Guerin has been at Katie Sorensen's trial, which only took place this year, and she's done extensive interviews with the people involved. Today's podcast is a very special episode. It is an update on the mom who falsely accused a couple of trying to kidnap her kids in a Michael's parking lot. For our listeners who don't remember Katie's story, Mm -hmm. can you give us the quick and dirty recap of who Katie Sorensen is and why is she even interesting? Why do we want to talk about her? Well, I actually think that the people she accused are more interesting. And so I will get to that. But Katie is um, I, now she's in her early 30s. She is uh, at, at the time when this happened in 2020, she was living in Sonoma, California, just north of San Francisco. Yeah, she was in Petaluma, right? Or she lived in Sonoma, but she was shopping yeah. in Petaluma. Right. And right. it was like deep COVID, as you recall, like it was like the surge, like that's when tons of people were dying in California of COVID. 
And it was just before Christmas, and she went to the Michael's Craft Store in Petaluma to go shopping. And um, I have at this, to stop you because, you know, this is my favorite part of this story. That it that happened it at Michael's? Place, that it takes place in the Michael's Craft Store parking lot. Yeah. 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 So, so according to Katie, and this is what she later said at trial, um, she was extremely nervous that day because of just having like heightened COVID anxiety. And she hadn't really been out shopping alone. She hadn't really been out alone with her kids, she said, during COVID. But there she was in Michael's with her two kids in a stroller. And she goes in the store and she just starts to feel like there are these people following her around, this couple. And she feels them behind her in the spray paint aisle. And then she notices they're behind her in the checkout line. And I should say, I saw a surveillance video of most of this and it's true. The couple, Sadie and Eddie Martinez, were right behind her in line, but it was also like the time of social distancing. So they were like six feet apart. And Katie felt like they had followed her out into the parking lot. Um, she was loading her kids into her car and says that she said that the couple sort of doing started doing this strange dance where they kind of took a few steps towards her, a, a few steps away, a few steps steps towards her. And um Later on, she told the story a couple different times. She first told it to the police, but then she told it on Instagram. And when she told it on Instagram, she said that the man had tried to grab her stroller and that she had yelled for help and this couple ran away. So that's Katie's version of what she says happened. Um, I can tell you what the Martinez's version is of what happened. Which yes, is, yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. I'd love to hear that. And I mean, I think that what made this so interesting in the beginning is that yeah she she decides to broadcast this to right. instagram immediately like that was her go-to her go-to wasn't scream for help or call her husband it was let me talk about this on social media yeah well she did so i guess i'll stick with katie's story first and then we'll get to sadie and eddie but so katie says after so she actually says while she's walking out of michael's she's on the phone with her husband and she's telling him they have a code word for when they're in danger, but they don't want other people to know. Mm -hmm. And she said she did said she ever her, reveal it. I don't know what her code word is, unfortunately. Damn but it. she did say she watches a lot of true crime podcasts. She told mm. the police that. Mm -hmm. And that's where she'd gotten the idea. So she's on the phone with her husband telling him that she thinks these people are following her, saying her code word, um, getting increasingly scared as she sees them near her car while she's loading her kids into the car. Anyway. Right. So she says she calls for help. And this older man and his caregiver like come over and see what happened and they're like you did the right thing but the couple is gone so katie later calls the police from her car and she says she that she was just at the michael's parking lot and a couple tried to kidnap her kids and she tells them the story um i guess the notable thing to me about this first call is that she the dispatcher asked her to describe them and she describes the man as maybe hispanic wearing a black lives matter hoodie they're both wearing face masks because it's COVID. And then she describes a woman in this kind of funny way where she's like, she had red hair, but it wasn't natural. It looked like it was box dyed. Um, no. Yeah. And then I she just, I didn't know that detail. Yeah. And then she describes the woman as white. And uh, so Katie is told to go to the police station. She gets there and she has another interview in person with a police officer, like through her car window in the parking lot. Because again, this is COVID. And at that point, she adds another detail. She says, like, you know, they just seemed um, rough looking. Um, and the police officer is very baffled. He's like, are you 
famous? Like, why would anyone be trying to kidnap your kids? And she sort of laughs. She's like, I don't know. My kids are very good looking. But no, we're not famous. Oh, dear. Oh, oh, snap. These are these are all details I did not know about this case. Well, this was all. Yeah, this was only because I went to the trial and they mm-hmm. played all the body cam video and the um fo- the the audio of her phone calls to the police. And then I got the transcript. So. Yeah, none of the none of what she told the police was out there. It was just her Instagram video was out there before this. Wow. My kids are very good looking. <laughs> yeah. So and the police officer is like, well, this is, you know, bizarre, but it doesn't really sound like an attempted kidnapping. But, you know, nonetheless, we're going to search the parking lot and we'll tell you if we find anything. Mm-hmm. And they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't find anything. And so the police drop it, essentially. And um, and then a week later is when Katie uploads her Instagram video, which you have seen, in which she tells the story again, but adds a few new details. And in her Instagram telling of the story, she says that the man tried, he, that he reached for her stroller. Mm-hmm. Um, she also says that she overheard the couple talking about, like in detail about her kid's appearance and how she must not care about her kids because they're not wearing masks and that would therefore make them easier to kidnap. Um, And so she says this new stuff and her video goes viral, as you know, like four and a half million people watch it. And some of those people are police officers with the Petaluma Police Department. And they um, the the man who watches it is the same officer who she spoke to a week ago. And he's like, I don't remember some of these details. Like, why would why would she be telling Instagram the guy tried to grab her stroller, but she wouldn't tell me the police like that's a key element of attempted kidnapping. This is strange. So they go to her house in Sonoma and they question her about it. And she kind of goes back and forth between like really doubling down on what happened. She's like 100 percent. I'm 100 percent certain they reached for my stroller. You know, I'm 100 percent certain they said things they shouldn't have been saying about my kids. But then she's also like, I don't know. I might be misremembering other parts of the story. And the police are at that point are like, you know, we looked at surveillance video and a lot of what you say on Instagram doesn't add up. And she, you can see her sort of start to like, oh, well, that's really interesting. Thank you for telling me. Like, um, I'm so glad you're here because, you know, yeah, I, I of course I want to be sure. And so it's this whole like back and forth where the police are like trying to figure out what exactly happened. And she's doubling down on certain parts, but doubting her story in other places. Right, right. Um, um, and yeah. so, and I guess, and I would just say, and then after that is when the police release this photo of this couple from the surveillance video mm-hmm. because they're now trying to identify the couple because they think, well, these people could be attempted kidnappers. And so that's when Sadie and Eddie Martinez enter the story. And talk to me a little bit about Sadie and Eddie Martinez. You focus a lot on them in the podcast. What do we need to know about them? Uh, they are early 50s. They're born in Bren, San Francisco. They met as teenagers. They're um, just like really lovely, decent, hardworking people. They moved out of San Francisco up to Petaluma because they wanted to give their kids a better life, even though they always felt kind of out of place there because Petaluma is a mostly white town and they're both Latino. And But they were like, you know what? We don't want our kids to grow up where we grew up. We want like something safer, something better. They have five kids. Uh, Eddie is a UPS driver. He's been driving for UPS for almost 20 years. Um, Sadie is a bookkeeper. And then she also is she's a very crafty person. She does a lot of like balloon displays on the sides. And so that's why they were in Michael's that day is that um, it was before Christmas and they weren't going to Sadie's mom's house like normal because of COVID. 
So they needed to make their own nativity set at home, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a little baby Jesus. So they went to Michael's to buy a little baby Jesus, among other things. And while they were there, it was like a totally unmemorable trip. Like Eddie wandered around. Oh, because Eddie had the day off from UPS for his birthday. So that's why he went with her to the store. So Eddie, it's, Eddie, it's Eddie's birthday. Yeah, it's like the day after his birthday, but okay. yeah. Okay, and they're also buying a baby Jesus. Correct. You can't make this shit up. I know. Um, so they're wandering around. Eddie's wandering around because uh, he doesn't go to stores that much. So he's like, oh, what's in Michael's? And Sadie's like, I'm going to go get the Jesus and we're going to check out. And they pay. They leave. It's like 1030 in the morning. They really like trying new restaurants. Like they're sort of self-described foodies. And there's this Chinese place in the plaza they've never been to before. And Eddie's like, let's go try this Chinese place. So they walk towards it. They realize it's closed. It's too early. Eddie's a very emotional, like he's very emotive. He talks with his hands. And so he goes, oh, man. And he makes this like big hand motion when he finds out the restaurant's closed. I will later learn that coincidentally, he made this hand motion behind Katie Sorensen's car. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they were walking past her car to get towards the Chinese restaurant. They find out it's closed. Eddie's bummed. He goes, ah, man. And then they turn around and they go back to their car. And they, like, turn around again one more time, but really they're just walking back to their car. And they leave. And that is their day at Michael's. So they don't think anything of it until a week later when um, Sadie's daughter, who's 17 at the time, shows her this surveillance photo that the Petaluma Police Department have sent out because they got, like, a text alert about it. And her daughter's like, Mom, I think this is you in the photo. And Sadie's like, nah, I don't think so. Like, that's ridiculous. And she's like, no, 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 really. I think it's you. So they go show her dad, Eddie. And Eddie's like, no, I'm not that short. You know, like they have this whole thing. We don't look like those people. Those people are frumpy. Like, that's not us. Um, and uh, but not long after that, Sadie gets a Facebook message from a Petaluma police officer being like, you have been identified as persons of interest and in this attempted kidnapping. Like, please come talk to us. And they're all like, oh, shit. And that's when it becomes very real that they've been accused of this thing that they clearly have not done. Can and you imagine? Get, can you imagine getting that phone call? Like, or the, yeah, totally out of the blue, right? And the, to for the police to say, "Hey, we think you might be potential kidnappers. We need to talk to you." Yeah, and I think because like probably at that point they did not even remember what they had done at Michael's. You know, it was just such a right, like normal right. thing to be like, "Wait, what even happened?" Like. What do we like? I can't even remember what I did that day. Like, can you remember what you did a week ago? Like, I can't. No. So anyway, yes, I think it was very shocking. But at that point, they uh, there's a one of se- one of Eddie's siblings is a lawyer. And so they had her come or I guess his sister. They had her come to the meeting with the police very smartly and basically told the police like this didn't happen. We don't even remember seeing this woman. Um, you know, we did not follow her around. We definitely didn't try to grab her stroller. And uh, fortunately for them, there was a lot of surveillance video that corroborated their story and they were very quickly cleared of any wrongdoing. Um, But that didn't mean that people out in the world knew they were innocent. Do you know what I mean? Because here Katie is on Instagram, like going off about this rough looking, not clean cut couple who tried to kidnap her kids. So um, to the rest of the world, no one really knows that they didn't do it except, you know, them and the police. Right, right. So talk to me a little bit. That's all the background, right? Yes. Do you need to know any other background going into the podcast? Um, I guess just that, you know, Sadie, 
Like she is the kind of person who really does something about things that bother her. And this like really pissed her off. Like she just was like, this was so obviously racial profiling. Like, uh, I think it just like enraged her and it enraged her to think about what would have happened if Katie had accused a different couple, like a couple that didn't speak English or a couple who was undocumented or, you know, a couple with fewer resources. And so she was like, I have to stand up and fight this on behalf of everyone else who has ever been falsely accused, you know, every other person of color that's been falsely accused. And so she held a press conference and yeah, she just kind of was on a mission to have Katie be um, actually prosecuted and held accountable. How did the trial go? Because again, these things don't usually go to trial. So yeah. how did this end up coming about? So no one ever told me this on the record. And by no one, I mean like the judge and the district attorney wouldn't confirm this. But I always felt just by the kinds of the ways that the various agencies were talking that they felt a lot of pressure to prove they could be fair to people of color. And -hmm. this was also like six months after George Floyd was murdered. And so I think the justice system was under a lot of scrutiny, like even more so than it normally is. And here was a case where they could show they're taking a tough stand against racism, basically against a white woman who had profiled this Latino couple. And so the police uh, from the beginning, you know, they were investigating Katie the DA charged her with the crime. Um, and then the judge wouldn't let Katie's lawyer get the case dismissed. Like she wrote, you know, if this case gets dismissed, people will lose faith in the justice system. And this case says a lot about, you know, online, the real world effects of online bullying and, um, you know, the ramifications of false accusations on people of color in our community. So she seemed to be thinking really big picture about it and really wanted the case to go to trial. So I think that's all part of why it actually made it to trial. Time for a quick break. Be right back. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. Then for the podcast, you did you end up sitting in on the trial? Yeah. Yeah, I went to every day of the trial. It was five days. And so talk to me about what it was like in that courtroom and what you end up learning that our listeners might not know. I think that the thing that I found most interesting was the prosecutor did not bring up race really at all. He argued that Katie was an influencer who a wannabe influencer who created this sensational story to go viral so she could, you know, monetize her posts. And like she had this online business called Motherhood Essentials, where she sold cosmetics and like supplements and essential oils and stuff. 
So he was like, you know, she wanted to direct, to direct more people to her business. And she also wanted to, I mean, Joe, you know more about this than me, but like be able to like make more money off of her sponsored content and ads and stuff. Um, and that was his argument. And so he did this like deep dive into her social media account. He pulled all these posts of her saying things like, I just want some more money for my kids homeschooling. Like I'm trying to be an eek influencer for clean living and mindful mothering. And I didn't see Katie cry during the trial, except during this deep dive into her social media, because it's so humiliating. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He's just absolutely. showing these posts of her like blowing flower petals at the camera and she's like sitting 10 feet away, like being charged with a crime. It was it was very cringy. Um, but that was his argument, which she was an influencer gone wrong. And he an would influence yeah. her gone wrong. That could have been that could have been the alternate title for this podcast. That's true. Influencer uh, gone wrong. As an aside, we decided to title it People versus Karen because the the whole idea that Katie was a Karen was really the uh -huh. way this incident was talked about online. Yeah, um, I remember that. I remember, you know, yeah. God, though, every time I see it, I just, you know, I've got a lot of good Karens in my life. Got a lot of good Karens. <laughs> and I feel so bad for those good Karens because they... Oh, like women named Karen? Women named... No, not like Karen in the quote-unquote Karen way, but like just women named Karen. Right. Some, well, of, whom are, some of whom are not white, but <laughs> I feel bad for those... I feel bad for the Karens. I feel bad we for actually got a lot of Karen. emails from people named Karen who were upset we called the podcast that. So well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, feel, I feel that. I feel them. I feel them. Also feel bad for the Kyles. Feel bad for the Kyles and the Karens. In the okay, world. that's fair. Just yeah, just putting it out there. Sorry, Karen. Sorry this happened to you. Yeah. So so yeah, that was the prosecutor's argument, and the defense's argument was that Katie now knew that no attempted kidnapping had ever occurred. That was an interesting mm -hmm. thing. That was never in question. Like from the beginning, both sides agreed this incident did not happen. But Katie's defense said that you know at the time. She like convinced herself. What did he say? There was this phrase. He said it was a series of uh, coincidental events that she. No, this is what it was. It was an odd series of coincidental events that she misinterpreted. And she convinced mm -hmm. herself that she was at risk and that people were trying to grab her kids. But in reality, they weren't. And she now knows that she was wrong, but that at the time she really felt afraid. And it was important for him to establish that because the whole trial came down to her feelings. Because the the prosecutor had to prove that she did not truly feel afraid and that, in fact, she was lying to the police. And right, the right, right, right. That can't and, be easy to prove. No, super hard. And the defense had to prove that she did, in fact, truly feel afraid. So it was all, like, in her head, which was also fascinating. Like, a white woman's feelings were on trial. So wow. that part of it was really interesting. And the fact that she could so, you know, wildly misinterpret uh, Eddie Martinez's hand gesture when he's like bummed the Chinese restaurant is closed and she interprets that as him reaching for her stroller. Um, that was like one of the core arguments was that that was what she thought had happened. This trial just seems gonzo bananas to me because first off, yes, a white will, a white woman's feelings on trial. Um, and also, you know, it just seems like a war of how things are interpreted, which yeah. is so subjective now i have covered a lot of trials um i've actually covered i've covered a lot of celebrity divorce trials Ooh, nice oh yeah oh yeah uh i famously did the christy brinkley divorce okay 
uh, from Peter Cook, which is okay. a big scandal out on Long Island. Uh, I also did former New Jersey Governor uh, James McGreevy's mm. divorce. Yeah. Uh, and so I have been in a lot of courtrooms where there is a lot of he said, she said, mm -hmm. and speculation. But in those cases, it felt just more tangible almost. Whereas all of these things either seem to be happening in people's heads or on social media. Like yeah. not in the re these, thing these seem like things that are not in the real world. I think the other thing that was interesting, in addition to what you were just saying, is all the evidence was there. Like the, 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 the charges were based on Katie's three conversations with the police, all of which were recorded. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like you know, there was a robbery and there's no video of the person going into the store or not. Like the charge was she lied to the police and you have the entire conversation in which she allegedly lied to the police for the jury to listen to and decide. So that was also an interesting thing just as, I don't know, just as like more and more of our lives are documented. Like there weren't really any blind, you know, there weren't any parts of this trial that uh, where you had to guess, like, I don't really know what happened. Like you could tell what happened and it was just about how you interpreted it. So what is the latest? You know, what I haven't been following this story. I mean, it's actually shocking to me that it happened so long ago. Um, and I haven't been following it uh, in the past couple of years. What is the latest here? So the trial was this past April. So it was about two and a half years after Katie's initial accusation. And she was found guilty of one count of false reporting of a crime, which is a misdemeanor. Uh, basically, the jury did not convict her on her first two calls to the police, which were like the day of the incident. They did convict her on the conversation she had with the police after her Instagram video came out, which is interesting. She was sentenced to 30 days in jail. She only served half of that because that's how California's sentencing guidelines work. And then she was on probation for nine months. And during that time, oh, she also had some work release. But during probation, she couldn't use social media she had she had to do like social media ethics training, racial bias mm -hmm. training, things like that. And her family has since moved to Montana. Um, yeah, but they have. Which I should note, there's like a very long history of conservative white Californians moving to the northern Rockies when they feel like California is like, you know, not safe for them anymore. Mm -hmm. So she moved to Montana. And um, the last I heard was she was uh, before the trial, she was a preschool teacher. Um Although when I contacted the school where she worked, they took her bio and picture off the teacher page. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. She really didn't want to be found. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that. I also, you know, there's many sides to every story, too. Um, do I think that what Katie Sorensen did was wrong? Yes. Do I think it is terrible what the Martinez's had to go through? Yes. Do I think that someone deserves to be canceled and never have like a happier, productive life for the rest of their life for making a series of mistakes like that? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I like if Katie does want to work and be a productive member of society as a preschool teacher, which is a job that we desperately need more of. Mm -hmm. Should she? Should she be able to do that? I, it, it, there's a lot to think about here. There's a lot to chew on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that 
to me, this case felt different than your sort of like run of the mill being canceled case where someone says something that, you know, some people interpret as offensive. Other people are like, whatever. But like there's this huge Internet backlash to them. This felt to me like she pretty clearly uh, made up a lot of things that didn't happen and accused a completely innocent couple of this thing that like upended their lives. And I was like, yeah, you know that it made sense to me that she would be charged with a crime. I, I like it made sense to me she would be found guilty. Like those are things that I think are like are punishable offenses. So to me, this wasn't really about being canceled. I think that the reaction online to Katie, like her, I talked to her mom briefly at the courthouse and her mom said that you know, they got death threats and just like horrible emails and letters and phone calls. And I believe all that. I mean, we know how the Internet is. And so, yes, I think yes. and I don't that is a terrible cesspool. Right. And like, I don't actually wish that on anyone. Like, I really don't. But but I want to put to separate the online mob stuff from the justice stuff, like the justice stuff in this case seemed like right. I was like, yes, this is this is what should happen. Like being mm-hmm. attacked online. I mean, I really don't wish that on anyone. No, no. No, the justice stuff makes sense for me. It does. Um, But in my mind, I also think, you know, people need to continue to be able to live in the world. And so, yeah, being being attacked online is is gross. And I'm also curious, would there have been and I ask this all the time when this happens with an influencer, would there have been this much interest in Katie if she weren't, you know, a quote, traditionally attractive kind of sitcom looking white blonde woman, white blonde influencer. Like this this case got so much more interest yeah. than I think it would have gotten if that weren't who she is. And I think, yes, her appearance for sure. And also just the way people would use the term mom influencer. I mean, even the prosecutor mm-hmm. used it as this like dirty word yeah. in this way yeah. that felt kind of unfair, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not defending Katie. She was trying to make a living. She has three kids. She was trying to, like, build a business from home and, like, whatever. Good for her. Like, I think everything she did after that is messed up. But, like, it did feel like there was some amount of judgment of her for just being an influencer that felt sort of gross. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've thought that about this case. And I I think it about a lot of news stories that, that impact influencers or that are about influencers. That the word influencer, and especially mom influencer, and especially mommy blogger, those are always used condescendingly by the media. And that sucks. It just sucks. And these are are women trying to build a business. It's not easy to be a woman building a business. Again, what Katie did was terrible. But the media coverage of things like this, you know, we, we often see it when an influencer, you know, is harmed or an influencer passes away, the 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 term influencer is always used condescendingly yeah. by the media. And no other job or or a man who happens to have a large Instagram following, no the men are never condescended to in that way. So yeah, I do think that there was a lot of language and kind of a media circus around Katie's story that would not have happened if, say, she were an accountant. Yeah. I agree with that. I think the one thing I wanted to add is we were just talking about the like online mob vitriol that Katie received. Sadie and Eddie Martinez also received that. Oh, and, tell, me, tell me about that. Well, I mean, they for them, it was kind of on many levels. Like they got messages on Facebook and Instagram. So did their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of like subtle things that would happen in person. 
Like they would see a van parked outside their house and be like, what is that van? And and before they never would have worried about it, you know, but now they're like, what is that? Someone following us? Or they would be shopping and people would be staring at them. And at one point, Sadie overheard some women be like, oh, those are the kidnappers. Um, And so they felt like it followed them around. And it, Mm -hmm. it definitely it changed them in some pretty concrete ways. Like Eddie just he's always been kind of a homebody, but now he really prefers to just like go to work, come home. He kind of looks down. He doesn't try to make eye contact with people. He doesn't want to give anyone fuel for any kind of accusation like that ever again. God, He's kind of afraid right, to be right, around kids yeah. who aren't his kids or his grandkids. Oh, um, that sucks. Yeah. And with Sadie, she was laid off during the pandemic, like so many mm-hmm. of us. And it took her a really long time to find a new job. And she was convinced it was because people were Googling her and they were right. like seeing right. all the baggage, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. even though she did nothing wrong. It's like, do we really want an employee who's been associated with this thing? And so right. it just yeah. took a long time and, and they, they had trouble finding housing. They had to find a new place to live during all of this. And that took a long time, too. So it just affected all of them in pretty tangible ways. Time for a quick break. Be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash paradise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash paradise now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash paradise. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com slash events. How much did you talk to the Martinez's for this podcast? Quite a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I interviewed both of them, Sadie and Eddie, like before the trial. I saw them, you know, at the courthouse. They were both witnesses, which meant they Mm -hmm. couldn't be in court for the rest of the time. Right. But uh, they had a good friend who was there every day. And I would 
often debrief with them or with their friend after court every day. I mean, I talk to them right after the verdict, right after the sentencing. And um, yeah, we have, I mean, we've we've stayed in touch. And it's funny, I just asked Sadie for advice about potty training because she has five kids. And I'm like, this woman is probably an expert. Um, <laughs> Wait, what did she tell you? Oh, she was just so chill about it. She was just yeah. like, just like, you know, put him in pull-ups and offer him the potty whenever it's around. And I was like, truth, truth, that's it? Yeah. That's all you do? It really is. Yeah. And also, and also bribery. Bribery works. And yeah. I just give them a, I, uh, I actually just, I, <laughs> this podcast always goes in a direction that we do not expect. Um, I, I let them be naked and sit on the potty and give them a screen for a long time and then give them an M&M when they poop. Yeah. 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 yeah I've definitely been using M&Ms. So, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, personally, like as a reporter, like I like stories where it's not really clear, like who's the victim and who's the perpetrator. And so this story was interesting because it, it actually was quite clear cut. Like there wasn't a lot of gray about what happened. Um, but even within that, I thought, I just thought Sadie was really interesting how she wanted to fight back and how she didn't take it standing, sitting down and was like, no, like, I'm going to go public and I'm going to go big. And I want everyone to know what happened to us because our story needs to go viral, too. Otherwise, no one will know we're innocent. And she just seemed really Internet savvy in that way. Like, she kind of got mm -hmm. it, you know. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Do you think that she got the vindication that she wanted? Do you think that her story has gone viral in a way that they have been vindicated? Um. I think, I guess a couple things. The fact that race didn't really come up at the trial initially bothered her because she was like, I feel so strongly this was racial profiling and that just didn't come up. And but then I think she was she talked to the prosecution more and she was like, well, they told me that they didn't need to prove racial bias in order to prove Katie lied to the police. And in fact, it's pretty hard to prove racial bias in court, especially to a jury of um, 11 white people and one Asian man. Which is oh, wow. what okay, the jury that's, was. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I think the prosecution just was like, this is not going to be in our favor. And so they didn't really go there. But she always has told me, like, I know it was racially motivated. That's enough for me. Um, I think the thing the, the thing that is complicated is that Katie's mom has an Instagram account where she's essentially relitigating the case like trial by Instagram. Oh, wow. On and Instagram. This is so meta. Yeah. And she's posting, you know, surveillance video, pieces of evidence from the trial. They are appealing. Okay. And so okay. she's doing both. They're doing both like the formal appeal through court and then also this Instagram kind of trying to rewrite the narrative to be Katie was just a concerned mom. And she called the police to report her concerns. And look what happened. So think twice, moms, before you call the police when you think your kids are in danger. Wow. And what is this Instagram account? Um, I think it's called, sorry, let me just double check. It is called Supporters with Katie, sorry. It's Stand with Katie Sorensen. So the Instagram account is Stand with Katie Sorensen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm, I'm just looking it up. And it's created, it It might be private now. Um, no, this is, this is, this is private now. But okay. uh, yeah, the profile is described as the truth, truth in all caps behind the mom who went to jail for her viral Instagram video. Yeah. Okay. And that's how it's framed is, um, you know, this is the truth. Uh, the way the media presented this is not the truth. Um, Katie's mom does not like 
the fact that people like me use the term Karen to describe her. Like she has a bunch of hashtags. Her name is Katie, not Karen. And so, yeah, they're kind of trying to get a different outcome with a jury of online followers. And this is very infuriating to Sadie, as you can imagine. So I think she feels like she's not done yet because of this Instagram account and and also because of the appeal, but primarily because of this Instagram account. I mean, I don't have words. I don't actually have words for this because there's just so many facets of this that can only exist in our social media obsessed world right now. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, that's another reason why I thought this was interesting. The whole story felt to me like very much only could have taken place in late 2020. Like, yes, for sure. For you sure. know, like peak COVID, um, six months after George Floyd was murdered, like uh, everyone's at home. Well, not everyone, but most of us are like locked up at home. We're online all the time. Conspiracy theories are rampant. And in this environment, you know, Katie and Sadie and Eddie walk into the store. Eddie's wearing his Black Lives Matter hoodie. Um, and, you know, Katie just sort of takes it and goes with it. So I, I don't know. I found that part of it really interesting to me, that sort of like commentary on that period in time. Yeah. The most 2020 episode of all time. Yeah. And one thing we haven't talked about is that the police, when they were going through Katie's social media account, did find that she was... I think, as they put it, like engaging with QAnon and other child sex trafficking conspiracy content. Oh, wow. And so she takes it takes another turn. Yeah. So she had posted a a post of herself in summer 2020 holding the sign that says, like, let's be the generation that ends child sex trafficking. And she was at a rally sponsored by this organization that's like a, a pretty controversial child sex trafficking organization that does all these like rescue missions into developing countries to like rescue child sex trafficking victims. And if you recall, that summer was the summer of the like Wayfair conspiracy, like when people were convinced that the the furniture company Wayfair was like shipping children in cabinets, like they were trafficking kids in furniture. And this was like a real. Oh, I, do cons- not, I do not remember this. Oh, yeah. Look it I'm up. Also, I'm also here for, for this ridiculousness. OK, yeah. The, the conspiracy was called Save the Children, which is the name of this like very old established nonprofit that does work with children around the world. Yes. And yes. Uh, QAnon followers sort of appropriated the name to insinuate that like this cabal of global elites you know, mostly Jewish are like uh, trafficking children because they they're pedophiles and they want to like, you know, harvest this strain, this this hormone in their blood that gives them strength. And they're trafficking them through Wayfair and through snatching them in Ikea and Target. And, um, you know, it's white kids that are the victims. Mm, And mm -hmm. so a lot of the imagery that ended up in these memes that were affiliated with Save the Children were like a white girl with like a brown hand over her mouth. Or there's like a, a a white kid with like a, you know, there's like shadowy figures in the background who look darker skinned. So Katie, one of her friends who I talked to told me that uh, the, some of the mom groups they were in, there was a lot of this like, like, mamas, watch out. Like there was just an attempted kidnapping in, you know, this part of California, like people were posting stuff like that in these groups. So she thinks Katie was kind of primed to see kidnappers everywhere. And that that was on her mind when she went to Michael's. So that's a whole other layer of that story. I mean, that's a layer that I am also here for. 
So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we haven't done an episode on QAnon influencers in a long. Oh my god, you should! Oh, I know. It's just like my one of one of my concerns about it is that they're so easily mobilized to come after mm. you online that I'm like, oh, that's true. I don't really want your shit. Like, I do. I need the QAnon people saying that I'm I'm trafficking children by shipping them in crates of the Sicilian inheritance. I'm kind of curious what the like new mom influencer conspiracy is because I don't, mm-hmm. that's not like my beat, you know, but I, it's funny because I also last, uh, last year, the year before I did a, a podcast series about a yoga teacher who kind of radicalized during the pandemic and became like a vaccine denier and real like conspiracy theorist. And, um, and so it just, yeah, I'm just sort of curious, like what's the latest? Because the last time I was checking in, in that world, it was like, you know, Fauci is part of the deep state and the vaccines are actually giving you COVID. And I'm just like, well, what are they talking about now that the pandemic is sort of ending? Probably like parental rights and school boards and stuff, but I don't know for sure. But we don't know for sure. No, we have no idea. Um, all right, cool. If any of, if any of our listeners know uh, what the latest influencing conspiracy theory is, shoot me a message and, yes. and we'll, we'll do we'll 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 jam on it. Yes, that would be really, I would listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, So tell people where they can listen and where they can find you. So the show is called Imperfect Paradise, and this particular season is called People vs. Karen. And you can look for Imperfect Paradise pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. If you live in greater Los Angeles, it also airs at 7 p.m. on Sundays on 89.3, which is the local NPR station. Amazing. Is there anything that I missed? I guess I should just probably say, and you could put this in wherever, that um, I did reach out to Katie's lawyer and she declined to talk to me. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. So you never spoke to Katie? No. I tried many times. I talked to her lawyer a lot and I talked to her mom, but I never talked to Katie directly. I only heard her. She was on the witness stand at the trial. But beyond that, I never heard from her directly. What did, what did Katie's mom have to say to you? So her mom, her mom's name is Jill. Um, she didn't want to talk for most of the trial. And then right after the verdict, I was standing outside the courtroom with this other reporter. And she sort of like barged over to us and was initially kind of combative. Like, do you want a statement now? And um, she just said that she felt that the evidence had not been portrayed properly. Clay- Katie was clearly innocent. It was totally reasonable of her to misinterpret Eddie Martinez's hand gesture as him trying to reach for her stroller. And that um, Katie, she said, Katie has been as much a victim in this as the Martinez's have. Oh, wow. Well, then. And I think that goes to the Instagram account, which is portraying Katie as a victim of this kind of rigged system that is, you know, California is out to get white conservatives. Um, so that's a whole other wormhole there. But yeah, that's kind of their point of view. California's got a lot of, got a lot of shit wrong with it, but that's not one of them. It's not one of them. Her husband's family is a longtime California family. Okay. Um, and yeah, they were all, you could always tell who they were because they were all very put together, like, Mm. um, you know, wearing beige, rose, various pastels, light blues. Uh, yeah, they just like looked really good. And so you're saying they were very Instagrammable, even on trial? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they, they you know, they knew. I think they, they 
Yeah, they looked, they were just very put together compared to the rest of us. I mean, if I'm ever on trial for anything, I will probably look like the Crypt Keeper. So, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to consider the fashion choices of people at trial generally, I think. I think about um, it all the time. I, right? I also, yeah, I also covered, you know, a lot of Naomi Campbell after she'd thrown the phone at her assistant and when she was okay. throwing, like, the temper tantrums. And her her fashion choices during that time period were fucking impeccable. It's. I think it is important as a woman. I mean, and so Katie would wear, like I said, a lot of beiges. She always had her, she frequently had her tortoiseshell glasses on. The day that she testified, the first thing she did was like, look at the jury, smile, and introduce herself as a mother, um, which was a really interesting That's strategic a move. That's a choice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And But in general, she was no emotion, stone-faced. She mm-hmm. only cried that one time during the Instagram presentation. That's the perfect note to end on. That's it. Wow. I mean, that update really, really just floored me. I'm always happy to go back to that Michael's parking lot. Also, the story is bananas. I'm very happy that Emily dove deeper into Sadie and Eddie Martinez's story. So much of the media is just clickbait these days. We never examine who the real humans are behind it. And stories like this can damage people's lives. So kudos to Emily and the entire Imperfect Paradise team for bringing this to people's ears. I loved it. You can go listen to Imperfect Paradise wherever you get your podcasts. Give it a review. Give us a review. Reviews really help. I mean, yeah, I just, I I hate saying it, but I've got to keep saying it. Also, you know what I'm going to say next? Order the Sicilian Inheritance so that I don't have to create some weird Sicilian Inheritance conspiracy with QAnon. Because I will. Because I will. I'll pick a fight with QAnon if it means that we're we're going to sell a gazillion copies of that book. That's how much I love it. That is how much I love it. And I love you guys. You're amazing. Go have a wonderful day. You deserve it. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.